0: Mate, we're in a pub. Hello, how are you? Very good. Cheers. Cheers. No, cheers. Absolutely. Cheers. 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 cheers Sarah, Sarah, cheers. So, sorry, no, cheers. no one knows who you are yet, Sarah. No, 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 <laughs> no. Just, just we'll, we'll introduce you in a moment. Um, we've not done this for a little while, have we? Pubcast. Pubcast, yeah. No, no, it's been a while. Yeah. And
1: we've been to a pub, though. We've been to a pub. Of course we have. because yeah. well, I've got, got a bond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're my bestie. Yeah, heard you are ever, my bestie. Ever. Yeah, ever, yeah. Uh, how are you? How are you keeping? I'm really good. I'm, I, you have some banter. I've got some better banter. You've got better banter. Yeah, yeah. With you're, your better banter really, first. This is a humongous day for the patent profession. Is it? Um, yeah. Ten day rule ends tomorrow. Oh, it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are we going to do? We'll actually have to tell the truth about our deadlines.
0: I, I've never really understood the ten day rule. That not makes, being a proper. It hasn't patent made sense for fifteen years. So, so. What's, so what's
1: it about then? What are we losing? Um, we're losing the fake extra ten days that you got because it was deemed to take ten days for communication to arrive with you. From the EPA, despite the fact was that... Was that when we, we used were, pigeons? I, was, I think it used to come by elephant. I don't know what took Over the, Over the Alps. the Alps. <laughs> Massive bag of office actions and Hannibal. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it goes out of tomorrow. And that little lovely uh, parachute we all used to use. I say,
0: when so was you, it just like a little get-out-of-jail-free card then? Yeah,
1: well, what you used to do was you used oh. to pretend it didn't exist and say, actually, I've got another 10 days. But then people got wise to it. So we've had to go around the world telling people that cheeky trick has gone now. So you <laughs> that can't cheeky trick that they didn't know existed. Yeah, well, but they, yeah. they all found out. It's oh, the biggest okay. mistake. So big day. Why is, why is day. it
0: going? Is it just because it's not needed?
1: Redundant? It's utterly archaic. Okay. The, the, yeah. battle, the battle they had to fight to get rid of it, though, because loads of people obviously hated the idea of losing something. I've now got a closing wrong. question, by the way. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, excellent. How quick was that for oh, That's to great, great. great. I'm going to start preparing for what I think it might be.
0: <laughs> you used the word archaic. Just think okay. about that. okay. okay. Excellent, good. Yeah, that's, that's a little prompt for you. But other than that, it's good, it's good to be back like in the real world again, isn't it? Because we've been on Zoom for a bit recently, and um, it's so nice to have you sitting next to me. La- last time we did this, in the real world, you said you were going to give me a hug. You didn't. I was didn't I? bitterly disappointed. When? I said uh, I'd give you a hug. You did say you, you would give oh, me a hug. Oh, no, you would touch me. You would touch oh, me, that's what you said. I you can smell touch. you. <laughs> Do I smell all right? <laughs> Let's move on. I did have a 10-mile run this morning at oh. 6 o'clock, so it's um, <laughs> <laughs> OK, I showered. I did shower. <laughs>
1: Lee Davis and Willem Roberts are the two IPs in a pod, and you are listening to a podcast on intellectual property brought to you by the Chartered Institute of Patent Attorneys. So,
0: should we crack on? Yes. Should, we, should we introduce the um, first guest yes. of the yes. podcast? Yes, yes. Sarah Rodriguez. Sarah, hello, how are you?
2: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm good.
0: It's so good to have you. So um, so you and I met not that long ago at Super Congress when I had the great pleasure of introducing you for the the case law session there. And I left thinking, oh, we've got to get Sarah on a podcast because she was just brilliant. So here you are. Do you want to tell... Our listeners, a bit about you and who you
2: are. Sure. So my name is Sarah. Um, I'm a patent attorney. I work for Finnegan in our London office. And I started my career in the US. I was a qualified um, US patent attorney. I went to law school, and then I moved to Sweden. I was there for seven wow. years. Yeah, I became a European patent attorney. Oh, I didn't know that
0: bit of the story. So you were a yeah. patent attorney first, Oh, yeah. after the US bit. Yeah, yeah. and then
2: um, then I decided um, I don't speak Swedish, but I want to stay in Europe, and I love a big city, so I came to London, yeah. and I've been here for about. God, it's probably been seven years coming on eight years and then i became a uk pet attorney as well so i've taken so you're many many patent attorney
1: qualification collector then yeah i won't be able to say that god. later it's a trifecta a trifecta isn't it that's is it I don't is know. It a european uk and us yeah that's a trifecta
0: isn't it this is just try qualified are you trying to be too clever tripod <laughs> tripod this is a tripod, <laughs> it's a tripod. Tripodcast. Oh, god he's got in early so one of the really interesting things we could talk about is your, um, your experience of all of those different um, regimes and, yeah. um, and how, how the differences stack up against.
2: Yeah, so I think for the most part, there's a lot of harmony between our two jurisdictions, but there was definitely some rewiring that needed to happen when I moved to Sweden and I first started training as a European pen attorney. And I would say that's probably with um, Inventive Step and Added Subject Matter. Those were probably the two...
0: Oh, these are Gwilym's most favourite areas. I love those topics. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so that was um, that was a bit of a shock to the system, I would say. If I had to compare inventive step European to the U.S. standards, U.S. Well, obviousness, I would say that... Well, we
1: have a standard in Europe. I, think that's but probably I, would, I would say it's, it's, it's quite strict and it's
2: quite rigid compared to the U.S. Um, uh-huh. approach. So I think the main difference there is um, how we evaluate the skilled person. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were to compare the two, I would say that the European skilled person is like Bill Gates and the U.S. skilled person is like Steve Jobs. They're both brilliant, but the US person is just a tad bit cooler. (laughs) So, so basically, what I think is that in the US, we give a lot more credit to what the skilled person can do. And as a result, the European or the US examiner can have more liberties in how he makes his objections.
1: Oh, so, so, yeah, because the whole point about the skilled person in Europe is he hasn't got a scintilla of inventiveness. The whole thing is, he or she, sorry, they haven't got the scintilla. Of inventiveness, they're just completely unimaginative and have no no
0: inventive skill at all. They, they know stuff, but they can't do stuff.
2: They just have a, a bit of limitations on them. So, I mean, if you look at like the um, problem solution approach, it is quite like strict and mm-hmm. and very um, structured. Whereas if you look at the U.S. approach, it's um, more the mosaic. Look at everything before you, and you know, there's no restrictions on how many. Um, documents you can combine, and there's no closest prior art, and you can combine, um, I mean, in Europe, you can only combine more than two if there's a partial problem. So it's it's a bit more strict in that way.
1: That's good, Diana. I mean, I should expand on that for you. I think it's very useful to have a framework that is repeatable, because you can predict True. better.
2: But what is more realistic to real-life situations? Do you think in real life, in a research environment, that the skilled person is, is following the problem-solution approach?
1: No, and I think I think the European Patent Office... It's the debate now, isn't isn't it? I, I think I the think European Patent Office has pulled it completely away from real life to make it more objective, actually. And I, I think at trial, uh, the US real approach to actually who is the real school person, Steve Jobs kind of thinking, makes loads of sense. I just wonder about when you're trying to grant 100,000 cases a year. It's true. Whether you just want something really repeatable, even if it's not very realistic. But that's. Yeah, I mean,
2: maybe the US takes it too far, and maybe the European model doesn't go far enough, and maybe the best solution is somewhere in the middle.
1: Mm -hmm. Which do you prefer?
2: I think when it comes to inventive step, it's easier to get around an objection with the European style. And it's it's more yeah. difficult with the U.S. I mean, especially if you're writing a response with um, again six combinations, it could be quite tricky.
1: So, Lee, you're kind of you, you're the representative. I'm, 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 I'm the person on the omnibus. You're, the, you're yeah. the person on the omnibus. Do yes. you want, to, do you want Sarah, to give you a bit more kind of background about what the problem solution is compared to the yeah, U.S. Yeah, approach? yeah. I, yeah that's right. so for the listeners out uh, here uh, aren't living this, day yeah, and you're, you're using that. language
0: that doesn't necessarily immediately connect with me, so it would be really good to... Or mosaicing for you
1: thinking, why are there Roman tiles
0: involved? <laughs> I, do not on, I, do not, I do not have thought of me being an omnibus, like The clap of omnibus. No, no,
1: that's right. I'm
2: it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of similarities um, with, you know, how you would respond and approaches that you would use, you know, with respect to, like, teaching away and, and things like that. And, you know, there's no combination of the documents um, teach a particular feature. But I think it's just... Um, the main difference for me is in the U.S., yeah, the, the skilled person is just a bit more r- brilliant and um, there's no limitation on, on the number of references that you can use. And there's no... Um, I guess the structure is not as um, as set as you have in Europe.
1: So, for example, in a classic objection, you'll have your claim for your invention yeah. and the patent office will come up with prior art, which is N documents considered to be relevant. And you have to explain why, given that all of that was in the public domain you still have an invention. Yeah. And the big difference is, and I think, correct me, is in the States, you can have four or five documents and you can say, well, you take this bit from that document, this bit from that document, this bit from that document. The European approach kind of says, no, you'd have one document that was kind of the the core, what we call the closest prior art. And then you spot your difference and you decide if that difference is in some another of those documents but the EPO I think normally if you get more than three documents they or three or more documents they kind of say it'd be quite unlikely right. for the skilled person to so do
0: let me just check out if I've understood yeah. that yeah. so in, so in the US it would be your know, your reference point is a collage it's a yeah. kind of amalgam um, um, yeah yeah. Um, yeah yeah uh whereas in uh the European system it's an absolute it's
1: yeah, yeah, it is. And both of them struggle from the same problem, I'd say, which is hindsight. Because in the end, the only reason anyone found those documents is because you told them what your invention was. And that's always a bit that's quite common. If you think about it, the pattern, it's all very well having been told what they invention is to say, well, yeah, but I found four documents that... We should bin the, the patent system, shouldn't we? It's just awful. And to go back to your really good question, actually, yeah, so I don't know, what do you think happens in research? Do they, do they work from either of those? Or they? What do you think?
2: I would say that maybe the U.S. model is a closer representation of what really happens in research, because I think you have a lot of cross-disciplinary um, collaborations going on, mm-hmm. and I think it's not, um, in the real world, it's not as restrictive. You know, you're not looking, you're not thinking of you know, the, the objective problem and then you know, partial problems and things like this, but yeah, I, th- I think it's an interesting
1: problem or... I have to say, having seen loads of different ones, and we'll get them to the UK in a minute. Sorry for pointing. I can point in. And I, no, no, yeah, but no, but no one can see you. I know, you know. On Zoom, no one can but see you. But you were literally pointing point with a pen then, which I, I always find quite rude. <clears throat> no, I'm excited well, this is such a cool topic. I still quite like a repeatable, even if slightly unrealistic one, just in terms of the administrative role of getting all those patents granted. And I have to say that clients get very frustrated in my experience with the US approach because every time you think you're there... A new document appears as Shif-
0: Shifting sounds? Yeah. yeah.
1: They, they keep adding new documents and saying, oh, we would add this for that document. That, yeah. What do you think about that?
2: I mean, that happens. That does happen. But there's always um, there's always um, arguments. You can apply the same arguments in Europe that you do in the US. I mean, there's no motivation to combine. It's in a different technical field. So a lot of the arguments are the same. It's just the framework is quite different.
1: So we've got the... <clears throat> we'll move on from this in a minute. But we've got the problem-solution approach in Europe. Close to prior art. Distinguishing feature. Technical effect formula the problem is obvious to combine something else in the US is it teaching suggestion it motivation thing what is the does that still exist in that test or is that gone
2: so um, <coughs> teaching suggested motivation um, that's that's the language that's often that's okay. often used Yeah, but mainly it's um, looking at all the references as a whole and would the skill person be motivated what would the skilled person be prompted to do based on all the references together
1: and then of course you've got your third qualification the UK one do you Find yourself ever comparing the UK approach to inventive step, or?
2: so in the UK, um, I mainly I, I do European um, practice, so, so not so much um, UK um, responses, but mainly my main focus is European practice.
1: Yeah, because for me the the UK approach is. Government well, of course, it's governed by what the courts say. You have to do with the courts. So there's an unrealistic approach to it because there yeah. was a very expensive expert in there. In fact, they have two experts who both weirdly happen to agree with their own side's case. It's always a.
0: We do have an expert in the UK, don't we? I mean, there is even an Institute of Expert Witnesses. Is there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are they part of the Memcon? I, I don't think they are. Oh, that's fine then. So you probably can. Okay, that's yeah, certainly in fact for me. But... <laughs> We have a (laughs)
1: guest. Sorry.
2: But I would say another main difference is probably um, added subject matter. And I think in in that area, a lot of the US attorneys are kind of looking at Europe and thinking, like, what's going
0: on there? It's a bit Mm. strange. Oh, come on. Explain added subject matter to me. Consider me somebody who knows nothing, which is largely true. It normally works.
2: So if I were... um, I guess if I were to have an image to describe the the differences between the two jurisdictions, for Europe, I would have... um, Maybe an old English gentleman smoking a pipe. And in the US, I would probably have a young teenager smoking a joint. That's probably like a good um, comparison of the two. <laughs> there's,
0: there's a lot parallels here, but, but I think i passed both of them all the way in. So. But, well,
2: but I, I think the main difference there is, um, again, like what can the skilled person do? And what are we giving credit for the skilled person? So I think in Europe, it's... Um, even though it's, you're not supposed to have... Um, I mean, technically, the the statute doesn't require literal support. A lot of times, the examiner will require literal support, whereas in the US, it's much more relaxed.
1: Oh, yeah. It is. And again, which you prefer? What do you like?
2: For the patentee, I think the US model is a bit better.
1: I agree. So and it's a the, bit more forgiving. And for the third party?
2: For the third party, definitely, yeah, the uh, European model yeah. is going to be better. But as, um, as a patentee, the US model is more forgiving.
1: So this is all to do with how much information you can add to a patent application after filing because we're always rewriting the claims to deal with objections coming up from prior yeah. art in the yeah. steps yeah. section of this discussion. And in the States, yeah, I, I, what is the actual test? I mean, what is the test in the States? I'm not aware of one.
2: <laughs> so it's, if it's directly <coughs> and unambiguously... Well, so that's... Um,
1: it's very similar sounding.
2: Yeah, so it's basically um, what can the skilled person um, derive from, from the application? If, is, it, is it within the...
1: the... And so that's Seth Rogen smoking a joint. So oh, yeah, that's in there is, somewhere. This, this <laughs> Seth Rogen. I love your mental images of people. I love, it. I yeah. love your mapping. Of the, and is he a young person? He was. Okay. Is he's still young, he's not really. He's defamatory as well. Mm-hmm. No, such a thing. And we've got Tolkien over here smoking a pipe. Oh, I know so, Tolkien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the point being that you know, somebody's a bit more, it's just more kind of a relaxed attitude towards it in the States.
2: Yeah.
1: So the debate there is. Um, it's a really interesting. Well, the EPO has gone too far, I think. Uh, it's very, very strict. So if you put some stuff into your patent application at the beginning and you decide that some of it's really important, you want to pull that it in the claims. The problem is that the EPO is quite likely to say, well, that exact combination of ideas and concepts wasn't there. You know, So it is really tricky, isn't it, in terms of getting yeah, it through? So the
2: US, that's one major difference. The US isn't so strict with the different combinations.
1: No. So...
2: In the in the EPO, they you know there's um, there's case law saying that your application is not a reservoir of different features you know that can be combinable at will. And I would say in the US there's no um, there's no direct um, case law on point co- um, corresponding to that. But I would say it is more likely to be a reservoir of com- of features yeah. that you can combine at will.
1: And there's a case I think just come out in the UK, isn't that from Haken about this? This isn't a test. I need mean, I need mean, literally resources this there. But I think the UK courts may have just jumped out and said, actually, we're going to go more European now, which is... So the, the, the debate there is about who you benefit. The patentee benefits from having more latitude from the yeah, joint smoking that. teenager yeah. about yeah. what you can decide your patent should have meant if hey. you really write in the first, Yeah, have a patent, there. Whereas you got in the UK... In Europe, sorry, it's much more... Uh, you didn't say that explicitly, you're making it up. So the patentee, like the US system, third parties... Don't know they don't know what patents going to get granted in the states because you can't work it
0: out or can I ask an done. entirely random question which is oh. in my head at the moment but you know, like, you know I, do, I tend to do this so on a, on a big policy level we're quite interested in um, patent law harmonization yeah. yeah and what we've talked about here are some really deep differences in two maybe three jurisdictions mm-hmm. what hope is there of ever getting any harmonization if there are these inherent um, distinctions it's a really good question because I mean
1: of course the tests can sound the same. In fact, the way you just express the US test is basically the same as the European Patent Office expresses the test that matter, directly and ambiguously derivable. So it's the interpretation of it. I think another, another topic I want to actually raise with you, Sarah, in terms of the differences is the operation of the patent offices, kind of the procedural level. So, for example, let's start with an interesting one. EPO is a career. And it's a life career, and it's a very nice place to be. You know, there's some, there are pressures and tensions, but there's some real perks to being an examiner. The States, it doesn't seem to be, there are so many long-term career examiners. I've heard that people come through and then move on.
2: Yeah, so I think um, the European um, patent attorney as a profession, it's a much more competitive job. And when you um, when you see the examiners, a lot of them have um, PhDs, and I think they're um, better compensated, and they have better um, perks. Whereas in the US, I think the compensation is not um, as good as it is in Europe. So I think it's more of a stepping stone. People, a lot of people join the USPTO and then um, maybe move on. Yeah, so it's it's a bit um, it's a bit different.
1: And that's problematic, isn't it? I mean, you lose that continuity, you lose the, the building and the passing on of experience.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think so, and I also think that um, the European patent attorneys have more time with the case, whereas in the U.S., a lot of times, especially when I was there, um, I mean, this is um, many years ago, but when I was there, it was, um, we would often have an interview with the U.S. examiner, and a lot of times we would just spend the first few moments of that interview on the phone, just explaining um, what the invention is, going through the claims, Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, going through the figures, and just making sure that the examiner is on on track. So there's a bit of a difference, whereas um, with the European examiners, I don't um, find the need to do that as much. So, I mean, this isn't the case for all, I mean, there's a lot of brilliant U.S. examiners, obviously, Is it's not the case yeah, for, for yeah, all yeah. examiners, but there's um, a slight difference with compensation
0: and things like that.
1: I think that churns a problem as well, doesn't it? Because I think in, you don't get the institutional knowledge building up as a result, maybe.
0: Yeah, but also there's, I mean, I guess one of the things that strikes me, and I've always, I've always been interested in this outside of the world of IP in terms of um, people who are in jobs for life, you do get that potential, don't you, that knowledge stagnates. Because Ooh, you, because true, you, do, you don't get yeah. that kind of movement of <clears throat> yeah. new people coming in who um, who are perhaps more up to current trends and stuff like that. So, so I think it's yeah. I guess the American system where you, you do get people using it as a stepping stone to something else. You use their brilliance for a while. Yeah.
1: It's interesting. That, so we talked about <clears throat> two two of the biggest jurisdictions. I think I don't. I, I probably get told off for saying they are the biggest jurisdictions. But you've got IP5, you've got US, EPO, Japan, Korea, China. Yeah. They do kind of lead the way, actually. And it's interesting, isn't it, how gl- internationally, globally, you see people aligning with one of those two systems. The US system seems more popular to align with, I think, around the world maybe than the European system. I'm not sure. What do you reckon?
2: Who do you think the US system is aligning with? Or who is aligning with the US
1: system? I like um, the fact you get questions back. This is brilliant. Hang no, on a minute. Wait, it should this. Actually, i just thinking, I might have to retract what I just said. Maybe <laughs> Korea? I don't know. I don't know too much about that. I'm
2: no. not too sure. I'm not so familiar with the Korean fan office.
1: Yeah. I is don't know, but I know that the Germanic system is very popular, in particular, not just the EP system, but specifically the Germanic system. And to go back to your point about harmonization, Lee, it is really interesting. In terms of somebody running a portfolio globally, uh, those differences are really significant, though, because you've got one invention... That's going to be you know looked at by hang on, Bill Gates in
0: Europe, Steve Jobs <laughs> in the US. We really could have done with kind of finding a European person, not Bill Gates, couldn't we? I'm a bit disappointed that we've got Bill okay. Gates. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know, but let's let's go with it. Now, John Major.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think John Major is Britain Bill Gates. That's my that's
0: my my next defamatory. Uh, yeah, and I remember his operating system so well.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's definitely things that I do when I draft an application, for example, that um, I don't always do what they told me to do back in the U.S. and I don't mm-hmm. probably follow what the typical European patent attorney does, just to like kind of account mm-hmm. for these two differences. And I think one of those, um, one of the things that I do is um, not having the um, stating the problem in the um, background of the of the application. And I, I feel like a lot of European patent attorneys get very upset by
1: this. Yes, uh, it's yeah, really
2: yeah. difficult for them. <clears throat> I mean, there's no requirement to actually put it in the background. I mean, you can put it in the summary you can put it in the detailed description. But yeah. this is that's one of the things because I think because of the EQE, that's kind of like they're like horrified, like, no, don't oh, do that.
1: Don't stop. I mean, the EQE is a brilliant ruse by the EPO to brainwash the entire patent profession and it's succeeded enormously well. So, well done, EPO. Controversial. That's oh. no, just they know that. <laughs> <laughs> they know that. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, the systems are harmonised. The tests look harmonised. The application varies from different countries. Yeah. I've got a great question for you. It's quite difficult. Don't you dare bounce it back. I, okay. I, I've already spotted no, a no, trick. No, no, please do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I've loved it. Yeah. It's, a, it's proper advocacy. At work, do you so. think that we all agree, take out, strip out the test and kind of apply the underlying principles. Do you think there's, there's EP and US, do you think they basically agree on what an invention is? Would they agree that the same basic concept was the inventive thing? Or do you think there's a risk that they might actually disagree fundamentally about what the invention actually was based on those two tests? I think that,
2: well, if you take the example of business methods. Mm. Ooh. So in the US, that's much more easily done, whereas in Europe, it would be much more difficult so I think in some areas I think there are differences in what the US and Europe consider to be inventions or patentable, for sure.
1: That's a great
0: answer. Um I think, I have to think you're thinking you are thinking. The whole I I like can smell f- that you are f- thinking. <laughs> I'm that <laughs> close together. To yeah, yeah. Intellectual pheromones. That's
1: interesting, isn't it? I think that's also kind of the more entrepreneurial kind of US spirit to a certain extent, saying, Hey, you came up with a great idea and have a patent kind of thing. Whereas Europe is yeah, very restrictive in that kind of area. Moving aside from the debate about what should or shouldn't qualify as a patentable invention, if you've got the same concept, you'd think kind of almost at the human level that we'd all agree that that looks like you would an think invention. so, wouldn't you yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that, maybe that's going to be your question about global harmonisation. maybe yeah. that should be the test one day something that a bunch of people on the bus agree is a good invention.
0: because it seems to me that when we talk about harmonization, we're looking at systemic stuff we're talking about a grace period. Yes, yeah yeah we're not talking about invention. Yeah, we're, 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 we're at the level of systems and processes and yeah. not at the level of kind of intellectual capacity, if you like. Yeah. No, I yeah. totally agree. I
1: think, yeah, I think harmonisation is about agreeing that we have novelty and the non-obviousness from yeah. inventive step. And yeah. harmonisation is about agreeing that we have a test for added matter rather than the specific application. Um, one point, though, for I think really important for harmonisation is a harmonised approach to the balance between the patentee and the third party, going back in particular to the... No, it's actually to both these topics, inventive step and the added matter. It's interesting that perhaps it's skewed a little bit more to the patentee in the US and a little bit more to the third party in Europe on, hang on, on added matter. Oh, no, on both, actually, yeah. So the US is more skewed towards the patentee than to third parties, possibly, on both. Which is an interesting point of view, perhaps.
2: Um, I think for inventive step, I would say that it's more skewed towards the patentee in, in... Well, I don't know, actually... In some instances, it's easier to get around an inventive step objection in Europe, and in some instances, it's difficult. Okay. Like, for example, in Europe, when you consider inventive step, if the examiner, if he determines that there's limitations that aren't technical, they'll just be removed consider- from consideration in inventive step, whereas that doesn't happen in the US. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was something that was quite weird when I, when I started training in Europe. So that makes it um, more difficult, I would say, to get around.
1: But we see, well, if you ask an American at certain, and I'm hearing more and more that the US Patent Office is beginning to be considered to be anti patent or the systems, because of um, the re examinations and the other thing, IPRs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Is that, what's your, do you think that's right? That it's getting tougher?
2: I think they, I mean, everyone describes it as a pendulum swinging.
1: Right. So it it's think? always
2: going back and forth. Where is it now? <laughs> I don't know, I have to think about that. I'll have to think about
1: that. Where, where do you think it is? I'm here. <laughs> Oh, I'm loving this. It. <laughs> Wait till you get to your question to me. Um, what I'm hearing is from two different points. In fact, um, uh, uh, that podcast the other day this came up as well about how, um, to a certain extent, it's getting more difficult and less, it's less attractive to get patents now. So you've got the whole IPR thing. Internet, um, was, that mean? was it Interparts Review or something? Yeah. Yeah. So Which it's
2: is basically... <clears throat> Uh, a bit like your
1: opposition shot, sure. so you can attack a patent in a way that wasn't so easy before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. plus the courts don't give injunctions ever, I think, or something like that. Well,
2: I mean, I, I think IPRs are a positive thing because it's a way of doing maybe a, a mini litigation for a lot less money.
1: And oh yeah, I think I, yeah. I think so, but I think it's being used as it's being used as support for an argument that it's a bit more anti-patent in the states as a result because it's just easier to attack them through that. And I think then you add on the ingenuity of U.S. lawyers who you know can make anything complicated. Brilliantly, you know, <laughs> That's a good thing. That's their job. They're doing their job. Um, but also, yeah, the court's not very keen on giving out injunctions as well. So, and then, of course, we then heard, however, there's thousands of litigations a year in the US, and 89% of them are by non-practicing entities, I remember. Trolls. That. Trolls. Trolls yeah. yeah. So they obviously
0: think the system's okay for people with patents, so. Yeah. Can I come back to the systemic thing? Yeah, yes, do, do it. Because, do it. um Only because it's so important for us at the moment. So with the UK acceding to CPTPP and all of the work that we've done there around ensuring that um, our place in the European patent system is protected and preserved... Central to all of that has been the conversation around a grace period. And yes. I'm, I, I'm conscious, Sarah, that you've worked in Ooh, systems with and without a grace period. So I would just like your view on whether... Uh, so CEPA's position is quite clear on this, and that's that We're entirely neutral on whether there should or shouldn't be a grace period, just that if there is one, it needs to be part of a harmonised package globally. So come on, in terms of the systems, where are you on grace period?
2: I think it's very panty-friendly. I think it's nice to have a grace especially for panties who aren't very pen savvy. I think it's it's generous and it's, it is quite nice to have a grace period. And there's other countries who have grace periods as well besides the US, so...
0: Yeah, so, so as, a, as a, like a non-patent person, mm. I've been doing this for 12 years so I know a fair bit about it, yeah. um, but when I try and describe this to friends in the pub who are really only interested in football, um, they, they can't believe that if they were having a chat in the pub to someone and said, oh, I've just thought about this great thing, uh, mm-hmm. it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they can't get the head around the fact that you can't disclose anything at all, that seems inherently unfair. So I guess for the for the, the person not quite of the clap on the bus not got on it yet, yeah. they, they would think that they should be able to talk about the stuff that they're doing and not run. That's actually
1: that's a really interesting insight. I mean, I think the what's become really clear is actually the, the European non gross period system is actually the anomaly and as you know the US has got it, but actually if you start looking around everyone very few jurisdictions don't have some form different levels of rigor. Isn't it just a safety net?
0: Isn't that all? You know, it deep is. down, it's... I,
1: without being a bit rude about like your mates in the
0: pub. Oh no, please do. I don't. Like, I, <laughs> I, 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 I need to. Qualify. I have no friends. They are just people I know and I drink cool. with. <laughs> um, I think for
1: me, it's the system does need to you need to work out where the system's aim at. It's, it's to stimulate innovation, um, and to, but to balance the interests of the patents in third parties. I'm fascinated by, as you may guess. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also. You've got to look at who it's aimed at, if you're stimulating innovation. And the sad fact is that the oh individual inventor is, is going to struggle in the modern world, not really to get an invention, but to get anything out to market. Yeah. And to, frankly, all the, all the easy ideas are probably gone anyway, which is, a, I think it's true. <laughs> Challenge me, I don't know. Um, I think any SME or business is a bit bigger who's looking at innovating and looking seriously at um, getting patents. at so the kind um, of like the micro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In Maybe 30, or 30 plus years ago, it was a bit tricky to find out what the rules were for patenting. Yeah, It's not difficult. You can immediately find out some of the basics. So I, I, the, my problem with growth I do think it, it provides a safety net and it's, it, it, it's helpful in that way. But actually, I worry that it sometimes encourages the one that encourages that kind of unprofessional mm-hmm. behavior almost in sense of people, not just doing some basic due diligence. Maybe that's a bit mean of me. And th- thank you for that.
0: That was really interesting. I did actually ask Sarah, not you, so... Um... <laughs> she was
1: only going to ask me <laughs> anyway. I mean, she said, like, what do you think?
0: <laughs> it's lovely. Sorry, it was lovely. Sorry. Sarah, on. what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> do you agree with it?
2: Yeah, I, I do. I do agree. Um, I, but I, I think, um, mainly, I, I think it's it's a positive thing. And I think it, um, it does help innovation and it does um, provide um, an opportunity for... Um, for startups and and inventors who don't have a lot, it sort of seems
0: data. inevitable, doesn't it? It seems inevitable. Oh, it's going nowhere. Yeah. yeah, we're a team, by the way,
1: so you can ask. Yeah, other okay. Yeah. Questions. yeah, I feel like an outsider now. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh. No, is it? I think what is inevitable is yeah. Well, you're right. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying anything. I can't speak now.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I must stop looking at you. Right. It's getting weird. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, so, so uh, I'm, I'm conscious of time. We kind of. We've through this really, really quickly, but uh, there might be other stuff that you wanted to talk about. So you, you sat there thinking, "Oh, ask me that question." Is there a question you really want us to ask you?
2: Um, no, I think you covered it. Yeah, if there's anything
0: else, that you I've to... got one more. Go on, then you so go. Because so talk... obviously, I have a closing question, and I'm really desperate yeah. to get there. I'm interested. You talked about you know these multiple qualifications. In terms
1: of the rigor of the different tests, oh, great you question! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you found, found the contrast pretty unique contrast?
2: Um, yeah. So I think um, okay. So there's a U.S. Patent Bar, and right. the U.S. And, and that is quite um, an easy exam. That was probably the easiest. Um, but there's um, the U.S. State Bar exam, and I would say that's that's um, very difficult because uh, you have okay. to. Um, it's a closed book exam, and you just need to know have knowledge of law of I think it was it's about thirteen different areas of law. So. So that's a bit. Um, it's a multiple choice test, and then there's also an essay component wow. for for the different state that you're part mm-hmm. of. Um, then there's the EQE open book um, test, and then you have the UK exams closed book test. And I would say that um, with the EQE, oh. it's, that's more difficult in some ways because you can be asked to calculate a fee because you yeah. have an open book exam. and It can be like quite yeah. detailed. Whereas in the UK, it's, yeah. it's um yeah, it's a closed book exam, but it's um I think the in- fringement paper, it could be like that's that's quite like a difficult um, that's the, the ability, yeah. yeah, yeah that that that's quite a yeah. difficult paper. So but it's it's good because I think of, of all of them that's probably um, closest to real world situations at UK exams, so
1: that's quite good.
0: I guess that's what they're designed to be, isn't it? So quite quite happy to hear that actually. I've
1: got thoughts on that too. But anyway.
0: Um, yeah, uh,
1: it's not your podcast. I know. <laughs> um, just just share your thoughts, please. So you obviously love the exams. What, what exams are you taking next? So
2: I do have to take the driving exam. <laughs> I have to take the practical test. Yeah. So and hopefully that's the last exam. All <laughs> oh,
1: right, that's quite difficult now, isn't it? You've got to I think it's much
2: harder fix. here than it is back home, for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So and I have to learn how to drive on the other side of the road, which is difficult too. So, so to you you take a
0: test because you've. So not also, qualified anywhere. No, or, so I do
2: have an American driving license, but you can only use it for a year, and then you have to do everything over again. Yeah. Ah, I didn't know that. Ah, yeah. oh, so I'm that. doing it again for the second time.
1: Oh. I'm not unlike Neil, though. I've done the speed awareness course actually, and <laughs> yeah. uh, I still don't know. Some speed limit is based entirely on how far apart the lamp posts
0: are, or something. I don't really get yeah. that. Exactly. No, so. it was a while ago. I remain unaware. <laughs> yeah, that, that worked really well then, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to know. That you, judicial process in the UK <laughs> when it comes to driving offences works <laughs> oh, Sarah thank you so much for giving up your time to come and talk to Gwynam and me in the pub which has been amazing um, but so we have this little thing where my, one of my jobs so I'm, I'm kind of like the elephant in the room always aren't I I can ask silly questions and also I can do like a closing question I always try and make the closing question something to do with something that's happened on the podcast and right early doors you said about getting rid of the 10 day rule mm-hmm. uh, because it was archaic so I would like you, Willem, to cast your mind out. This can be professional Willem or personal Willem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else archaic that you would like to get rid of in your life? Shoe- it's, coming, it's coming your way next year yeah. so you need to think about
1: it. I'll give you. I'll talk slowly to give you uh, shoelaces. Uh, shoelaces? Shoelaces. Absolutely ridiculous. I saw blind by the time I was 20 that shoelaces are a thing of the past. We'd all be having velcro by now. Why are we still wearing shoes? Because you would look like a baby No, you would look, look like a baby I'm not being okay You're being okay <laughs> I'm being futuristic Velcro makes so much more So the shoelaces are fiddly little things They come undone When you're not expecting it And then they drag in the rain And the puddles And you've got wet shoelaces Room I've got some buying in oh, over here. So this is,
0: this is a bit Room 101-ish you now, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah no, so, no. so you are getting rid of shoelaces Into the archaic bin of history okay. <laughs> Exactly what I'm doing <laughs> Shoelaces Sarah, it's your turn Hmm. You can't ask him. <laughs> 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 or me, Or me. Just... <laughs>
2: what would I get rid of? Um, hmm. Maybe the HMRC helpline.
0: So,
2: <laughs> okay, that. That's quite difficult. <laughs> Probably have a different way of contacting them. <laughs> that could be quite painful. Yeah. Oh, that's no, awful. I, you got some tax problems. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just if you have any questions for them, they're 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 difficult to get to.
0: But unless you have a son who happens to be a forensic accountant in HMRC and you can sort of like just <laughs> drop him that text and That's he sort of stuff it. out for you yes. <laughs> I, am, I am blessed in the sense that one of my has sons has got, got an
1: inexhaustible them. supply of velcro as well no he hasn't I like to bring
0: these things together Lee yeah so, so I was thinking about this quite carefully probably more carefully than, not, than I normally think about things um, okay. Because obviously,
1: you think in your defence, you think yeah, yeah, no, I, I think. Cool. No,
0: obviously, I've had the time, haven't I? Because kind of we yeah. go to the podcast as I mean, usual, and and I, kind of, I got this question really early, so I know exactly where I would go with this. <laughs> okay, so I would get rid of revolving doors. Ooh. because I don't know what purpose they serve other than to cause me to go round continuously. <laughs> Before I work out how to get into a building, does this happen a lot? We've got them in my building. It, I,
1: we've got. It some happens TV. more
0: than it should. What's wrong with a good old air curtain that's kind of just continually kind of blow? Uh, okay, might, might not be sort of um for the best thing to do for the. When
1: did you last get someone an air
0: curtain? Oh sh- shops used to have And stuff used to have Now No I have to go around in this spinny thing mm-hmm. Until I can work it out it I, I will get rid of the revolving door I had two friends once And they were yeah, You had two friends once oh, so You've well, you know, yeah, got, you, yeah. you got
1: apparently <laughs> um, And they Were trying to be quite cool And they went towards the same revolving door But they went to each side Oh no That's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah No revolving doors Gone Oh, Sarah, thank you so much. for. Uh, there's no other way to do it other than just quickly cut to the really closer, really is there? Really um, <coughs> thank you for thank sharing you, yeah, your time I with you us. Um, I will say again that um, Sarah was at Congress and was one of the star turns uh, looking at case law, which was just absolutely brilliant. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You're waving your pen at me in a very scary... Okay, yeah, no, no, sort no, of quite, of... Quick shout out. Finnegan, say hi to Tim May for me. I saw him a week you. or two ago. You had a big thing, didn't you? Say hi to Tim, old friend of mine. So I'll see you on the next one, which is in about 20 minutes' time. Or two points. Or two points, yeah. Thanks, Sarah.